Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I am the pastor here, and I uh, hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you survived Black Friday. Uh, I read somewhere that two women got into an all-out brawl over a parking spot at a Houston outlet mall. And so hopefully none of you were anywhere near that. Uh, I know you weren't. I know all of you were quietly, prayerfully meditating on all your blessings in life. Uh, I know you weren't near any of the shopping or any of the chaos, but, but I know as we enter into this season, maybe you've already experienced it, there is some chaos, right? Even if it's not two people fighting in the parking lot over a parking spot chaos, there's chaos just with the lights and the parties and the family and the shopping. There's, there's chaos that we entered into on Thursday, on Friday, and some of you maybe are already experiencing the stress of that. And so we want to, as Christians, who understand what Christmas is about, we want to get beyond the chaos, fight through the chaos to focus on something greater. Because listen, lights aren't bad. Like shopping isn't bad. The parties aren't bad. All of these things are really and can be really good things, but they can also be distractions. And so I want to help you uh, not get distracted. So uh, a couple ways we can help one another do that is, uh, is to focus on what this season really is about. This season for Christians is called Advent. Uh, that word Advent means coming, specifically the coming of Jesus to earth. And so we focus on that. We reflect on that as Christians. And, and we can do that in two ways, uh, specifically for our church. The first way is our Christmas series begins December 11th. So just in a couple weeks, we're going to begin a series. It's called Names of Jesus from Isaiah chapter 9, the promise of a child who would come, this wonderful counselor. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at those different names for three weeks all the way to Christmas Eve. And so we invite you to, to be a part of that, to celebrate the coming Advent, the coming of Jesus. This is a time where you can invite your, your friends, your coworkers. You can help them get beyond the distractions by inviting them to church for this series. This is a time where people are more sensitive. They're more softened to come to a church service. They have Jesus often above their fireplace, right? They have Jesus sometimes in their yard. And so it's really easy. They, they may not even be Christians. They may not even know why they have that. It's just tradition. But it's really easy to say, hey, you know Jesus uh, the, the little baby on your fireplace, he grew up to be a man, and he died on the cross. He rose again. He's alive today. We're going to come worship him. Do you want to do that together? You'd be surprised how many people will say yes to that. So that's one way this Christmas series to move beyond the distraction to celebrate Advent. The second way is uh, Advent devotionals. There's lots of good ones out there. They really start this week. You can start doing this as a family, as roommates. Uh, there's one I want to recommend to you. It's one by John Piper. Uh, John Piper uh, author, theologian, pastor, really solid guy. He's written two, actually, and you can go to their website and download them for free. Uh, you can also purchase the physical copy, and you can go through this together with your community group, with some friends, over coffee, with your spouse, as we lead up to the coming of Jesus. There's ones you can do with your family, and so um, I do one, my wife and I do one called Unwrapping the Greatest Gift by Ann Voskamp. Uh, we make it fun. We put little uh, candy canes on the tree. And so as we start to read it, the kids can go grab a candy cane for that day, bring it back, and they can start eating it so they'll actually listen as we read the devotional. And so if you have kids, there's all sorts of ways you can do this that we would focus as Christians 
on Jesus, the coming of God to earth. Do you realize that's what happens at Christmas? God comes to earth. Big deal. If you're not a Christian here, that's what we're about to celebrate. It's not just the lights. It's not just the shopping. God came to earth. And so we celebrate that. We reflect on that. We want to stir our hearts now with that purpose. And so take advantage of that. Don't miss that in this season. Today, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, so grab a Bible. If you uh, haven't already, grab that and head there. Uh, AG read it, but we're going to look at some principles from this passage. But before we get to that, I want to address a couple of things. One is our kids are with us in the service. Can you give it up for our kids? Welcome them. Yeah, we love having our kids in the service for a couple reasons. Really, the first reason is we want you as families to worship together. Every once in a while, we want you to worship together, to sing songs like we just sang, to hear a sermon like this, and to talk about who God is and what he has done, and to do that together. That Hopefully, this would stir conversations and questions that you would have trouble answering after this service. That you would have to go to the Bible yourself as an adult and be like, why do we sing about this? Why, do, why does it say this in Ephesians chapter 6? So that's the first reason we have our kids in the service every once in a while. The second reason is our, our PBC Kids volunteers, we want to give them a break. A lot of them serve really faithfully every Sunday. We can clap for them as well. Thank you. Uh, we want to give them a break and allow all of them in the service with us. So kids, we're going to bring you guys on the stage. So stay ready. Get excited in just a few moments, so hang with me. You have some goodie bags in the meantime. But first, I want to address something else. Is As you heard in the reading, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Paul talks about bond servants. Some translations say slaves. And if you've been around for a while, we've actually addressed this before in our series in Titus and a couple other places. But I just want to address it because that's really the context that Paul is in. And so we need to understand his context and how it transfers to our context. Let's look at that briefly. We see bond servants right off the bat. Why is that in there? Why is slavery in the Bible? I think most of us, and even myself included, my question when I look at the Bible and see something like slavery is, why does God tell people how to be better slaves instead of just getting rid of the whole thing? Right? Have you ever thought this? And so I'm going to help us understand a little bit of why that is. First of all, you need to know God doesn't endorse slavery. God sent his very son to bring freedom. So we don't, as a church, Christians should never endorse slavery. It's an ugly, it's an awful thing. But I want to help you understand just a little bit of the context in, in Paul's day, in Ephesus, specifically of why Paul would go at it this way. First is this that it was estimated that slaves made up about one-third of a population like the city of Ephesus. And so as Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, this is a reality that about one-third of the population was in. So he's speaking truth into their reality. The second thing, slavery was different than it is now. It was often for a specific amount of time. It typically wasn't race-based. It was economic-based. People would often become slaves to pay off a debt. It wasn't generational. So it wasn't if, if your dad was a slave, the son was a slave, his son was a slave. It wasn't like that. It was often for a specific amount of time as opposed to an indefinite amount of time. In that day, it was possible for a slave to own property, achieve social advancement, and even be released or purchase his or her freedom. 
So it was different than what we know of today and in the 19th century. I'm not saying it was good. I'm just saying we need to understand the context. It was, it was different than what we know today. And some of you will think, yeah, but Tim, it's still slavery. Like, just, why not just get rid of the whole institution? Why doesn't Paul rebuke the institution? And what I would say is that Paul's silence in these few verses doesn't imply approval. You just look at other places in the Bible. Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.10 he lists off sins and references slavery. He says, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders or enslavers, they're included in that, in this list of sins, and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. The book of Philemon in the New Testament, also written by Paul. Paul pleads for the freedom of a slave by the name of Onesimus. And so just because Paul doesn't mention it in these few verses doesn't mean he approves of slavery. Do you see that? And as you can look at history, people of God that have been led by the word of God, some of the words that Paul wrote, that all throughout history that Christians have been some of the leading influencers in freedom. If you know your history, you think about people like William Wilberforce. You think about John Newton. You think about Martin Luther King. All of these people, all these men were Christians. They were people of God, led by the word of God. Like this was their, this was their paradigm for life. This was their belief system in life. And they were some of the greatest influencers in promoting freedom from things like slavery. And so we need to look at that. And the last thing I would say is this. That if you look at the Bible, God's goal wasn't always to overthrow institutions, but to change hearts, right? God wasn't always trying to change the institution, but he was trying to change the heart. You look at the life of Jesus. Like so many at that time were frustrated because Jesus didn't overthrow this Roman Empire. But that wasn't the goal, right? That was never the goal. The goal was to change hearts that would change history. And that's the goal still today. That's the goal as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, is that God would change our hearts and that we would be a part of changing history. And in that process, institutions would change. And they have. Institutions like slavery are no more in the places that still exist. Some of the leading people today who are trying to get rid of that and set slaves free are who? Are Christians. Think of IJM, International Justice Mission, one of the leading efforts to get rid of slavery in our society today. They're a Christian organization. So hopefully that helps you frame a little bit up this context, our context. Here's how we're going to go at this this morning. We're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about work because it's not an exact correlation. So many times we quickly go there. I didn't want to quickly go there and just bypass slavery and go to work because it's not an exact correlation, but it's the most similar context we have of authority and working under authority and how that works. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. And it's fitting as we do that, that we have our kids in the service today because there's a big difference in how kids view work and how adults view work. Isn't there? Like you talk to your kids, you talk to other kids about what they want to be when they grow up, and that's marked by excitement and adventure, right? You talk to some adults about work and what they are as they've grown up and their stress and their survival, right? That we say things like, you got a case of the Mondays, or I got to bring home the bacon, 
or I, I'm counting down the days till retirement. So there's a stark contrast between the way a kid views work and the way an adult views work. And so we need this morning to learn a little bit from our kids, right, about work. And we're going to teach them as well. And so I'm going to invite all our kids to come on stage. Parents, kind of help me shuffle them to the aisles. And they're going to come just kind of right here and group up together and try not to destroy a mic stand or a guitar. So let's do that now. Kids, can we come up? Can you encourage our kids, adults, to come up on stage? Kids, we got to bring the energy because our adults are kind of struggling this morning. So would you help me with that? You guys can take a seat right over there. And we're going to lay some, some quick ground rules. I know you guys will, will crush this. You guys can take a seat, get comfy. Go ahead and take a seat. There you go. Be seated. Amen. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I have a treat for you guys at the end, so just hold on for that. But at the beginning, we are going to talk about work. So that's what mommies and daddies are talking about today is, is work. And so we want to talk about that with you guys. And to help you guys, I have, uh, have some props for you. And so here's what we're going to do. You're going to be a DJ. Hold that. You can put it on your head, do whatever you want. Uh, you're going to be a photographer. So check that out. You're going to be a police officer. So make sure everybody's paying attention. Uh, and you're going to be a construction worker. And you're going to be uh, handling some stocks, making some deals with that cell phone. And then uh, you are going to be, let's see, you're going to be a doctor, Jonas. And then, Neela, you're a cheerleader, but you can also be a nurse, bivocational. And then Ashwin, my son, you're going to be a construction worker. Hold that. I'll give you something else in a second. And then I'm going to be... What I always wanted to be when I grew up, which, which is a Cowboys football player. Yeah. I don't know why you're booing. It's the greatest team in the country. Okay. I can't do that. The sound guys are going to get on to me. So, Ashwin, you carry on the tradition, and you live my dream. Okay? Hold that up. Hold that up. There you go. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to participate. First rule, you got to talk to me, okay? The second rule is how you talk to me is you just raise your hand when you want to talk, okay? I'm going to grab the handheld mic, and you guys can talk into the mic. So get ready, okay? All right, so the first question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to work at a car show. Car show, nice. That's good. Yeah, give it up. <clears throat> Let's bring the energy, kids. Come on. Uh, why do you want to work at a car show? Because I want to see cars. It's a great reason. Yeah. What do they do at car shows? Do you know? <laughs> they get to drive all the cars? Yeah? Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Yeah, give it up for him. What else do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. I want to be a football player. Football player. Nice. What do football players do? They score touchdowns? Yeah. Yeah, they hit people. Uh, what makes you want to be a football player? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Here, I, I'm too old to bend down, so I'm just, you guys are responsible adults, right, kids? I'm going to hand you the mic. Here you go. I know you can do this. What do you want to be when you grow up? 
A YouTuber or an engineer. All right. All right, yeah. Give, give some respect for that. Why, what makes you want to be a YouTuber? Because um, you can buy whatever you want. That's a great reason. I don't know the connection between that, but I trust you. Jonas, what do you want to be when you grow up? Pass the mic. I want to be a policeman. Policeman, nice. So you really need the walkie-talkie. What, what makes you want to be a police officer? Because when I'm done, I could, get, I could keep my gun and taser. So keep, keep your distance from this guy. Could get violent. Very good, very good. Neela, what do you want to be when you grow up? A cheerleader. A cheerleader? What makes you want to be a cheerleader? Because you can't contain yourself because the Cowboys are so good? All right, that's a good answer. Ashwin, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, uh, yeah. uh, a football player. Yeah. Nice. And what makes you want to be a football player? Mm, I don't know. Yeah? Me too, bud. Me too. Good job. And then lastly, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? A scientist. A scientist. Nice. What makes you want to be a scientist? To experiment in laser technology. To experiment in laser technology. All right. Yeah. Give it up for that. Very good. All right. So did I get everybody? No, I didn't get you. Here you go. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. You don't know? All right. Well, keep, pray about it with your dad, and, and he'll direct you in what, which way you should go. You want to try one more time? All right, we'll keep thinking about it. We'll talk about it after church, okay? All right. So, hey, guys, I want you to, to look at me again, okay? So all of you guys said some very different things. They were all very great things, right, guys? All very great things about what you want to do when you grow up. Uh, you guys are, or some of you guys are students, and so that's your work right now. Did you guys know that whether you're a student in school or whether you grow up to be a, a nurse, a doctor, or a football player, that you're ultimately working for God? Do you know that's what the Bible says? That no matter who your boss ends up being one day, that you're ultimately working for God if you're a Christian? And so I want to ask you two questions. You don't need the mic for this. You can just talk to me. How, did, um, how do we work for God? Like if we're ultimately working for God, if he's watching us, if he's giving us the ability, how should we work if we're working for God? Does anybody know? Yeah. Yeah, by talking to them about your work and prayer. That's good. What else? How, what kind of workers should you be? What kind of students should you be? This is good for parents, right? What kind of students should you be? Yes. Read the Bible. Say it again. Read the Bible. There you go. i got to say that into the mic. So we should read the Bible. We should pray. We should involve God in our work. Did you know that God worked for you? Did you guys know that? In the very beginning, God created everything. He worked. So everything we see today is a, is a result of God's work, that he sent Jesus to do what? How did Jesus work? Yes. Yeah, Jesus did the ultimate work in taking away our sins. He had a job. He was a carpenter. He made things out of wood. But he also healed people, prayed for people, talked to people about God. He went to the cross. He took away our sins, the ultimate work. And he rose again. He's alive today, and he's still working in and through us. Whatever you end up doing in life, listen, whatever you end up doing, 
God is still working in and through you if you know Jesus. So I would invite you guys uh, to ask your parents more questions, to trust in Jesus so that your work, that your play, that everything you do can honor him and worship him, okay? All right, well, you guys did a fantastic job, so fantastic that we're going to clap for you. And we're also going to trade, so I'm going to get my props back, and it's a good trade, trust me, because you guys get a candy cane, okay? And so there's a candy cane. Let me take the, the DJ stuff back here. Let's just toss that all in this bag. There you go, yeah. There we go. Give it up for my wife, some assistance. You toss that back in there. You want to hold that? All right, you can hold that. Just because it's a Cowboys helmet, you can hold that. All right, everybody got a candy cane? All right, you guys can go take a seat. Thank you so much. Would you guys thank them again? All right, well, that was fun, but really, work does apply to kids, doesn't it? Some of you parents are saying amen right now. Yeah, work, kids need to work, right? They work as students. They work uh, in different ways as they grow up and some of the ways we just talked about. College students, what you guys do is, is work whether you have a job or not. Or what your work is right now is going to class and doing your homework. Stay-at-home moms, maybe you're thinking, well, does this apply to me? Yes, you have a job that you never clock out of. Right? You're working at 2 a.m. when you're changing the diaper, when you're doing the laundry. It's the hardest job in America, I think. And so this applies to all of us, IT company, coder, developer, nurse, construction worker. This applies to all of us in every season. So that's what Paul is going to emphasize in these principles that we can take from his day to ours is how do we work in all of our seasons and all of our spheres of influence what does that look like for us? And so look at verse 5 with me. We're going to see our first point is that we should work respectfully. He says, obey with fear and trembling. And maybe you read that and you say, why fear and trembling? That seems odd. Well, it's the same language that was always used to describe respect and reverence for God. As we just talked about with the kids, what we're going to see in this passage is that as Christians, we ultimately work for God. And so we work in the same way for our boss, for our authority. We work respectfully. Four times in these verses, it references Christ or Lord. Verse 5, look at the verse. As you would Christ. Verse 6, as servants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Verse 8, to receive back from the Lord. So as a Christian, who do you work for? Help me out. The Lord, right? It's abundantly clear. We work for the Lord. No matter who your authority is, as Christians, we believe God is the ultimate authority, and so he put them in authority. And so as you respect God, you respect your boss, right? That we work respectfully. And we just love that, don't we? I mean, we just love coming under someone, don't we? We've seen it throughout Ephesians. We, we all get excited. We put these verses on our mirror, on our dash of submission, Right, those are our life verses. We, we tat them on our forearm because we love the idea of submission and coming under authority and respecting authority, don't we? No. Like, we're stubborn. We're skeptical people. We don't love coming under authority. I mean, I know not you, but the person you're thinking about is like this. 
right? We don't like this. And so that's exactly why Paul, in this passage and so many others with marriage and parenting, he talks about submission. He talks about how to treat authority and come under authority because as much as there are differences in the context from that day to this day, this context hasn't changed. People in Paul's day didn't like coming under authority. People in our day don't like coming up under authority, that God's word is timeless, that this should pierce all of our hearts in this room because we often don't like this. But I want to show you why it's so important, and there's two reasons. The first one is simple, and it's this, that God commands this, right? And that ultimately we obey God. So when God says come under authority, set aside your authority to come under authority to show me his ultimate authority. When God says that in the Bible, that we obey that, not because we have a fantastic boss, but because God is the ultimate authority and he commanded it. So that's pretty simple. The second one is that work can be witness. Here's what I mean by that. That if you go to work and all of your coworkers that all they see of you is a general lack of, dis- a lack of respect or a pattern of disrespect for your boss or for your job or for your coworkers, if that's what they see of you, Christian, it's going to be really hard for them to imagine your respect, your reverence for an ultimate authority. So if you're the guy, if you follow Jesus, but you're the guy at work who's always late, who's always lazy that everybody has to cover for, who gossips about your boss, and then you try to invite those people to Christmas Eve service, that's going to be weird, isn't it? Like, they're probably not going to say yes, and that's going to be weird for them to, to see a disconnect between, okay, you, you live this way at work, which is at least 40 hours of your life, but there's this other side of you that actually respects authority. You see, work is, is witness. That if people are going to see and acknowledge that you respect an authority they can't see, they need to see you respect and acknowledge authority they can see. Do you see that? That they need to see in our lives as Christians a general respect for authority so they can see this is an indication of, this is a reflection of their respect for the ultimate authority, which is God, so that there's not a disconnect. And so Paul is saying we respect authority, we respect our boss, we respect those who are over us because work is witness. And then we work sincerely. Look at verse 5. It says we work with a sincere heart. Verse 6, we do the will of God from the heart. So we're sincere. It comes from the heart. That word sincere literally means single or whole. It's the opposite of working halfway or duplicitous. That we're single-minded, single with our heart. That we're sincere. We're genuine. We're not cunning. We're not conniving. We're not manipulating, trying to climb the ladder. We're also not working halfway and giving it half effort and just getting by. No, we're, we're sincere. We're single. We work wholeheartedly. Remember, Paul says you're a servant of Christ. You represent Christ. That work is witness. And so as you work hard, you're reflecting a God who has worked for you. That you're a servant of Christ. You're honoring him as you work with a single, with a wholehearted mindset. Paul says you're not people-pleasing. You're not duplicitous. 
That you don't just do the, the right things when the boss is around, and then when he's not around, you are lazy, you are late. No, you, you're consistent and you're committed. Do you see that? You're committed with your heart. You're consistent with your hands. That you have a commitment to your job because you understand that work honors God, that it is a witness. And so, therefore, you're committed to it with your heart, that when you're at work, you're all the way in, right? And that you're consistent. It doesn't matter who's around because you ultimately work for God. So you're committed and you're consistent. Now, does that mean you can never leave your job? Right, some of you are thinking about, well, Tim, you don't understand my job. I mean, it's just a, a go-between before I can get to something else. You don't understand my boss. You don't understand how hard it is. I'm in a cube all day. You don't understand how hard it is to fold laundry all day as a mom. I mean, you really can't be uh, respectful and sincere all the time if you're a stay-at-home mom. And listen, you need to know that as, as Paul is, is talking about this, that he wants to see a respect and a sincere heart while you're doing what you're doing. And so maybe you don't always serve in the cube. Maybe your work isn't always trading stocks or on the phone selling stuff. Maybe your work as students, it's not always going to be in the classroom. But while you're there, you represent Christ. That work is witness. I know for me as a pastor, uh, I've been doing this for several years now. And I went to seminary and I had all that kind of training. But my ultimate training to be a pastor came as a dog walker. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, so when I was in seminary, I needed a part-time job. And so I got a job as a, as a dog walker in Dallas, Texas, in uptown Dallas, walking dogs for rich people that have discretionary income to pay for a dog walker. You tracking with me? And so I'm going up to these luxury condominiums, and I didn't love dog walking. I didn't love, I know this is going to shock you, I didn't love scooping poop, Right? <laughs> I wasn't passionate about that. That wasn't how I was wired. That wasn't utilizing all my skills and talents, right? But, but I did it, and as I did that, it prepared me for what I'm doing now, specifically the scooping poop part. I'll let you make that connection. Uh, you know, church is messy. Um, people are messy. But specifically, what I learned during that time, honestly, more so than I often learned in my seminary class, was how to work, Right? How to do something when it's hard, when you're not really feeling into it. How to interact with people in that process. How to know that, that some principles that I'm doing now of respect, of being sincere when I talk to people as I'm getting the key to go up and get their dog. right? As I'm doing something I don't like to do, that I get to show I have a greater purpose, have a greater witness, that this is actually worship for me because I don't just work for you as the dog owner. I work for the ultimate owner of all dogs and everything in the universe. I work for God. And so as I walked dogs, that was preparing me to do what I do today. Whatever job you had when you were in high school and college, whatever job you have now, God is using that to prepare you to teach you principles that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. And so it did practically with me. That as I'm doing this dog walking business, we were getting ready to plant a church. I don't know if you know this. It doesn't pay a lot, right? We were getting ready to plant a church in Austin, Texas, and I knew I wasn't going to make that much money. We just had a baby. And so I just thought, man, the lady who's my boss, she makes more money than me. And so what if, what if I did what she did? And so I, we went to Austin. I got austindogwalking.com, and I started a dog walking business. 
And then I hired some other people to help me walk dogs. And that was supplemental income as we planted a church. And listen, you don't need to walk dogs or start a dog walking business unless you want to do that and donate the money to the church. That's fine. But what I'm telling you is that there's something in every vocation and every work that you can learn and apply to what you're going to do one day. That no job is pointless. Why? Because God created it. Because God put you in that role to be a witness, to respect, and to be sincere. No matter what the job is, no matter who you're working with, no matter who you're working for, that's our role as Christians. Do you see that? So work can be witness. Work can also be worship. Colossians 3, that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So God doesn't care just care about what happens in the church, but outside the church. You see, some of you have divided lives, right? Some of you come into church, you raise your hands, you pray. Some of you, maybe even when you go home, you think, well, I want a good marriage. So so God's involved in that too. He's not just involved in Sunday. He's involved in my marriage. He's involved with my kids because, you know, I want good kids. But my work, that's different. I mean, Tim, you don't understand what it takes to get ahead. You don't understand what I have to put up with from my boss. And so, so many, so many times we compartmentalize our lives. We say, God, you're, you're Sunday, and then I'm, I'm Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And so that 40 to, to sometimes 60 to 70 hours of our week are devoid of the most important thing in our life, our faith. You need to know it's not set up that way. It was never meant to be that way, that God is concerned about what happens in here on a Sunday, but he's also concerned about what happens Monday through Friday, that whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That applies to your work, and we see it throughout Scripture. Just look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10, we see lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 14 that all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 16, the appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. There was way more than that. I just don't have time to get to them. You go read Proverbs. God cares about the way you work, right? It's witness and it's worship. And so as Christians, we work sincerely, wholeheartedly before God and before others. We don't just surrender our Sundays, right? We surrender our Monday through Friday, our Saturday. It all goes to God, and he uses it for greater purposes. The second point in our time today is that we we work like this because God is faithful and impartial. So look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8 says this. It says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both your, your master, their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So we work respectfully, we work sincerely because of who we work for. Okay? That we work for someone different. That we work for a God who is faithful. That he returns back to us the good that we do. He's, he's faithful. And it doesn't matter if you're a slave, if you're working under somebody, it doesn't matter if you're a free, maybe you're an owner, a manager. It doesn't matter if you're in authority or under authority, that God is the ultimate authority, that everybody works for God. So your boss, they work for God. The president, as hard as it might be to imagine right now, 
they work for God, that ultimately God holds everybody accountable. And so we ultimately work for a faithful God. That's who we work for. So listen, that changes why we work. And that changes how we work. Do you see it? That who we work for, a faithful God, an impartial God, the text says, that he treats everybody the same, that he doesn't show favoritism, that he expects the same from masters as he does servants, as owners, as he does employees, that God wants everybody to treat everyone with respect, sincerity, that leadership in the Bible is never about power and position, it's about service, that that's who set this up. God set that up. So who we work for changes why we work. Why we work changes how we work. On a Tuesday, when you're tired, on a Thursday, when your boss says something to you that you don't like, on a Wednesday, when he asks for the TPS reports, when the printer doesn't work, that you work for God. That's who you work for, and he's faithful, he's impartial. It changes why you work and how you work. This should define our work as Christians. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Tim, my job, like you just, you just should come, right? You should come see who I have to work with, who I have to deal with every day. It's insignificant. There's turmoil. There is gossip. Like, if I don't maneuver, I'm never going to get ahead. Like, this doesn't really matter. So I kind of, I, I, I just spend time listening to your sermons. And listen, I love that you listen to my sermons. Uh, don't do that instead of working because you think your job is insignificant. That, that we work not because of our job is great, but because God is, is great. And listen, he's faithful. He'll take care of you. Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. He's impartial. You think of examples like Joseph. And so maybe you don't like your job. Well, listen to Joseph's story. Joseph was a slave, right? Not a good deal. I don't think he liked his job. Right? Joseph was a slave for Potiphar. He ends up in jail. Not a great job. Right? Not cultivating his, his wiring and his expertise and his talents and his skills in jail. I don't, th I don't think anybody would say that, right? But Joseph was faithful. Joseph was sincere. Joseph was respectful. What happens to Joseph? He ends up second in command to Pharaoh. And he didn't jockey for position, right? He was sincere. He was respectful. He worked hard right where he was, and God elevated him. God took care of him. Now, listen, I can't promise you if you're the secretary, you're going to be, be the VP. Like, I don't know if God's going to do that. But I know God is faithful. You trust in his character, his nature, and he will provide for you. And listen, there's incredible freedom, isn't there, in that? That if you quit trying to maneuver, if you quit trying to manipulate, if you quit thinking just about your job and your task list, that sets you apart from everybody else who works because nobody thinks that way when it comes to work. But Christians do because of who we work for. It changes why we work, and it changes how we work. So whatever situation you're in, this applies, that our definition of success is different. Where's our treasure as Christians? Is it in your race? Is it in whether your boss sees you and and says, hey, you're doing a great job? Is that success for the Christian? Is it in a promotion? Is it in how much you make, your insurance, in your status? Is it that for the Christian? No. 
Those aren't bad things. You should try to achieve in your job, but ultimately you know your treasure is laid up for you in heaven. That God is faithful. He will take care of you. And that along the way, you can be a witness. You can worship God through that process. And so listen, I love America. I love that we live in a capitalistic society, but we don't elevate the American dream because you don't command your destiny. Destiny, Who does? Jesus. Right? We sing a song that Jesus commands our destiny. And so you may not have climbed the ladder how you thought you were going to, but you may have uh, achieved heights that no one else will ever realize because you're walking out your faith for a God who sees, who knows, who honors you as you work for him. And so that's the goal, that Jesus commands our destiny. We trust him. He's our eternal boss. He's the master of everyone. He doesn't play favorites. That's the kind of God you serve. If you are uh, an owner, a manager, you're held to these same characteristics, right? So it says you don't threaten. So you don't use your power to intimidate. You serve. That's always the case in God's economy. And so this applies to everyone, that we serve a great God, and so it affects how we work, whether we're owners or we work under someone. So for the Christian, it's different. So how is it different? Let's talk about just practically, briefly, what this looks like. The first thing of how we live this out is that we reframe work as worship and witness. Some of you, if you're honest, you just need to reframe the whole conversation about work. That you just think about your task list for Monday and Wednesday. You're thinking about your boss. You're thinking, yeah, but, and you have all these excuses. You need to reframe the whole conversation as witness and, and worship. You need to see your work that way, whatever it is. And so for some of us, we just need to reframe that in our heads and in our hearts. The second thing is we need to define expectations and discern calling. And so first, we need to define expectations that you shouldn't be surprised when work is hard. That's why it's called work. Right? It's hard. Genesis 3, God says, you are going to toil. It's going to be hard. And so we live in a, in a world that's being redeemed, but it's not fully redeemed yet. So there are things that are broken. You are broken. Your printer is broken. I, the biggest evidence of the fall, I'm convinced, is printers when they say PC load letter tray. Like things are broken. Don't don't expect it not to be. Expect there's going to be some trials because work is, is hard. And then just practically, you need to define expectations at your work. Like just imagine with me for a second for you, Christian, if you were to go in your work this week and you were to sit down with your boss and say, hey, we need to have a meeting. Why? What are you upset about? What do you want to complain about? And you say, no, 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 I don't want to complain about anything. I'm not upset about anything. I want you as my boss to define what I am supposed to do. Like, what is success for me as a worker here? What do you want me to be doing? Here's what I've been doing. Is that what you want me to be doing? Or is there something else? That you would practically define expectations uh, with your boss at your work. Imagine if you did that. Your boss would faint, right? Because nobody does that. Everybody comes in to complain, to, to say something they're upset with? What if you said, hey, I want to do a good job here. I want to work well. I want to be sincere and respectful. Tell me what that looks like here. And then secondly, you would discern calling. And so the reality is, for some of you, you may not be in the ultimate spot you're supposed to be in, right? And through practice and through prayer and through other people counseling you in your community, 
that you would discern, am I really supposed to be working here, or should I start a trajectory somewhere else? And what does that look like? Maybe you're not supposed to be in a cubicle. Maybe you are supposed to be doing something else. I know for me that if I was required to do spreadsheets and accounting every day, I wouldn't make it, right? Wouldn't happen. That's not how I'm wired. And so you could tell me, well, just work harder. And I would say, I- I've tried. I can't, I don't know, like, how to compute the spreadsheet. It's never going to happen. And so I get up and I preach and I pray for people and I organize events and I help people grow in Jesus because that's how God has wired me. How has God wired you? You need to take some time to figure that out through prayer, through practice, and through wise counsel. And so that we would define expectations and discern calling. The last thing is that we would pray for our work. If we're saying today that we don't like our job, we don't like our boss, I'm not sure I can do this whole respectful and sincere thing, have you prayed about your work? James 1.5 says if any of you lack wisdom, you ask God, right? And so maybe some of you are thinking like, well, Tim, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what this would actually look like. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God for wisdom in your situation at your work? Have you prayed for your work as you go in for the day? Have you prayed for that project? Have you prayed for your coworkers? Have you prayed for your boss? And I don't mean like God smite them with your mighty hand. Not those kind of prayers, right? Have you prayed for your boss? Listen, if you began to pray for your boss, do you think your heart would change towards him or her? you hate your boss after you pray about it, do you think you're still going to hate him? Not if you're praying to God, right? Maybe you're praying to somebody else and you walk away like more emboldened than ever to take down your boss. That's not from God, right? If you pray for your boss, if you pray for your coworkers, imagine how that would change and reshape your work. Because listen, as we look at the book of Ephesians, everything from God's grace changes everything else. That what changes your identity changes your activity that applies to your work. And so Jesus, who adopted you, who has redeemed you, who's transformed your identity, he's freed you from trying to find your identity and success at work. He's freed you from trying to win with your boss. He's freed you from trying to compete with your coworkers. He's freed you to work sincerely with respect because work is witness, it's worship. So because your identity is in Christ, it changes your activity, and it does so at work. So I don't know where you are with work. Maybe this makes you feel guilty, but you need to know God can redeem your work, just like he's redeemed everything else in your life. And so let's think about how he can do that as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are involved in our work, that you don't just meet with us on Sundays and abandon us on Mondays. God, that you are present with us. We have your Holy Spirit that equips us, that empowers us to work well. And so, God, I pray for these men and women. I pray for Phoenix Bible Church that we would be known for people who work well, that there wouldn't be people in this room right now that that their coworkers would say, that guy's a Christian? Really? No, they would say, of course. Of course that guy's a Christian. I, I knew something was different about him, that this would bring more glory to you And God, that you would bring us joy as we do that, that you would help us to define expectations, to discern calling, that if we need to repent to you because of the way we've worked, that we would do that. If we need to repent to our boss or our coworkers, that we would take that opportunity to point people to Jesus through our work. So God, I pray that you would help us do that to every man, to every woman, to even the kids in this room, that we would work this way because it honors you. 
and it's good for us. And so we pray for your help on that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.